Thank you, Pastor Dan. Wow. I have been anxiously awaiting this moment to get to Bethesda, not because I just wanted to see my friends, Dan and Becky, but because I wanted to hear the music. <laughs> this worship ministry has blessed the General Council and other facets of this denomination so many times that I just couldn't wait to get here. And today, I just, I, I thought, could I just send a note up and say, cancel the preaching <laughs> and let me, let me spend some time worshiping and sensing God's presence. Amen? I know you take it for, no, I know you don't take it for granted, but it would be easy to. But trust me, this is extraordinary. This is different. I heard them but I felt it. I said I felt something. And that's what changes lives. Amen? I want you to remember three words today. Maybe you'll remember more than that. But at least I want you to say this word. It's so common and yet so filled with awe. Say the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Aren't you glad? By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Looking across this audience, I can't imagine the stories that everyone has about how their lives have been impacted and changed. Aren't you glad grace found you before the law caught you? <laughs> We wouldn't be here. Many of you heard Johanna's story, at least the ladies did. But it's a story of grace. Her mother was born in Indonesia. Her mother's Chinese. Her mother was raised Buddhist. Not only in Buddhism were they raised, but there was a heavy, heavy involvement of the occult. Her father was raised in Holland. His dad was killed in a German work camp. His mother was blown up in a bombing raid that was perpetrated by the Allies, so unfair, so horrific. It's a story that would take too long to tell. The ladies have already heard it. But I can tell you, when God reaches out, Johanna's father was uh, agnostic because of all the loss that he had suffered. And he, he had said, I'll never bow my knee to you because you've allowed all this loss in my life. But aren't you glad when you're not looking for God, God's still looking for you? <laughs> it's, it's, it's an improbable story. A Royal Dutch Army soldier gets sent to Indonesia to fight in a revolution, meets a Chinese Buddhist girl. They get married. 30 days later, they're deported. They go back to Holland. Their lives are miserable. She's missing her parents. She's missing her siblings. Demon spirits literally have trailed her all the way across because of the involvement in the occult. She's sensing the powers of darkness. She lives in constant fear. Her husband's bitter and angry. Their marriage is fragile. Children are born. A neighbor lady says to her, Jan, you need a break. You need to go 
and relax with the kids, with the neighbor lady. They went into Amsterdam. She thought she was going to a bar. She thought she was going to a party. She didn't know exactly where she ended up in a Billy Graham meeting. <laughs> Can I tell you, God's grace is fantastic. It, she had never been in a meeting like she'd never heard anybody preach from a Bible. She she had never heard of Billy Graham. She was angry. She didn't want to be there. Billy Graham, I think he was speaking metaphorically when he said something like this. I don't remember exactly, maybe didn't know exactly, but he said something like, Jesus is going to come down and meet with you. And he did. I mean, maybe not really, but she had a vision, and it was just as real to her as if he were there. And when he touched her on the top of the head, something transformed in her life. And she began to weep, and she had an experience she never had before. And when he gave the invitation, she walked down that aisle of Chinese Buddhist. She walked back up that aisle of Chinese believer, changed by the power of God. That's grace. She went home and ultimately opened the door of salvation, not only for her husband, but for all her children when Johanna was 10 years old, they immigrated to the United States and settled in a little western Kansas town called Garden City. I went there as a single evangelist. They were attending the First Assembly of God, and we had a great meeting. <laughs> I don't remember much about the revival, Dan, but uh, I'll kick my punt coverage. <laughs> Grace. My story's not nearly as exotic as that. I'm from a little southeast Texas town called Sour Lake, Texas. <laughs> Yay, Texas. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a Buddhist come through Sour Lake. <laughs> a lot of Baptists. Everybody Baptist once in Sour Lake. <laughs> a lot of Bubba's and a lot of barbecue. But I can tell you, grace touched our lives. My dad was a high school dropout left school at the 10th grade, began to drink, started working in the oil fields, became a part of that culture, became addicted to alcohol, didn't get married till he was 30. It was pretty dysfunctional even by that time. He led mom into that lifestyle. They didn't have children for seven years. Doctors said they wouldn't have children, so I was a little bit of a shock to their system when I was announced. But he finally got serious about his life when he decided he was going to be a dad, and he thought, how can I be a successful parent? I mean, he was really addicted, very dysfunctional, couldn't hold a job, all kinds of people had given up on him. Six months before I was born, six months, he was riding along. He and mom had been to a 4th of July celebration. They were coming from a little town outside of Beaumont, headed for Sour Lake, and he thought he was having a heart attack. He thought, I'm going to die, and I'm not going to see that child. Second thought was, I'm going to wreck this car when I die, and they're going to be hurt or killed. And so without mom's knowledge, he just slowed the car down real slow, real slow thinking that if he died, he'd just slump across the wheel and the car would just roll to a stop. There'd be no impact. 
And under his breath, without her hearing, he just said, Jesus, I don't know how to pray. But Mama used to pray. If you heard her prayers, would you hear my prayer? Spare my life to see that child. In other words, heal me. And then he did something that I've never heard anybody. It's a conversion prayer I've never heard anybody else say. He may be the only one. Because of his addiction, here's how he, here's how he framed it. He didn't know much about what was proper, what protocol was. He just said, God, spare my life to see that child. And if I ever take another drop of liquor as long as I live, I want you to poison me and let me drop dead. <laughs> now, if God took him seriously, that was a death sentence. He had never kept a promise in his life with regard to his sobriety. <laughs> but when you are touched by God's grace, old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. He looked past all of the failures and all the faults and all the past attempts, and in one split second, he was healed, he was saved, and he was delivered from alcohol. That's grace. That's grace. That's grace. Second word I want you to remember is providence. Everybody say providence. I call it supernatural scheduling. Supernatural scheduling. Now think about it. How many times in your life have things happened that you didn't plan, but they worked out for your good? Supernatural scheduling. Think about it. When we told this story about Johanna's parents, and, and Billy Graham was in Little Rock once when we were there pastoring, and we got to have a, a meeting with him, and she told the story to him and gave the facts and the figures and all the stuff and the dates, and finally he, he was trying to get it in his mind, and he, he called Cliff Bearers over, and he said, listen to what they're saying. And he said, I think it was, honey, I think it was 53, 52, somewhere along in there, and said, we didn't do one-day rallies in the early 50s when we traveled overseas because it was too expensive to bring the whole team. We either went for a week or we didn't go. So we were scheduled to be in Germany and head for the U.K. after the German, Germany meeting and going to the U.K. And the people in the Netherlands were so persistent, they wouldn't give up. And they, we kept telling them, no, we can't come for one day. We can't come for it, it's not It's not protocol. It's not what we do. And he said, we finally, because of their persistence, we broke protocol and we dropped into Amsterdam for one day. <laughs> and he said, just think, that's the night your mother got saved. Supernatural scheduling. <laughs> Providence. He looked at Johanna and he had this big smile and he says, just think, Johanna, we weren't even supposed to be there. And then he winked at her and he said, you don't believe that, do you? <laughs> Providence. Providence. Dad got saved and gloriously delivered. What a miracle. Never took another drink as long as he lived. But in God's providence, and I don't have time to tell you the story, but six months later they appointed him pastor for church <laughs> before he had ever preached his first sermon. <laughs> now, you don't do that. That's not logical. He was a high school dropout, certainly never been to Bible college, never been to seminary. It's not logical. <laughs> 
But he was a little supernatural scheduling. <laughs> I mean, I'm part of a group over in Springfield that creates a whole lot of hoops for you to jump through before you can get your credential. <laughs> he wasn't qualified. And I'm not saying that he sh shouldn't have, you know, I mean, I, I'm for education, Sister, Dr. Martin. I'm for, I want you, I, but sometimes God qualifies the underqualified. <laughs> I said, sometimes he takes people that are underqualified and he moves them to a place supernaturally. It's God's providence. He scheduled you for something that you don't even know you're... Well, you know. So some of you have been around Bethesda for a while and you've enjoyed all the what's happening. And God's saying, you need to get off the sideline and get in the game. And you go, oh, I'm not qualified. I don't have the education. I don't have the background. I got too many... You know, I got a lot of stuff in my closet. I mean, you can't believe, you know. <laughs> if God qualifies you, there's not a devil in hell can disqualify you. <laughs> yeah, well, Dad and Mom, I guess they figured it was such a little church, he couldn't mess it up. <laughs> Nobody there but his family. I mean, you know, it was a little church, seats about 80. He didn't have an office. He didn't have a secretary. He didn't have a deacon board. We didn't even have a foyer in our church, either in or out of our little church. <laughs> but he and Mom stayed there 22 years. <laughs> Johanna and I were there some time ago and did a, an anniversary for that little church. And had to move out on Saturday night because of the crowd, and I spoke on the stage where I got my high school diploma and got to preach there the next morning. <laughs> what memories, and I heard testimony after testimony of people's lives that were impacted. Just about two months ago, I was looking at Facebook, and somebody from Sour Lake posted about how they missed their father who was gone to heaven, and he said, I know he's in heaven because a preacher named Reverend Garrison led him to Christ three days before he died. <laughs> Still getting the miracle of that providence. Isn't that amazing? When I was eight years old, he came to me, my dad did, and he said, son, you're our new pianist. <laughs> Talking about underqualified. I said, I'm eight. <laughs> he said, but we have nobody else, I said, what do you mean you have nobody else? He said, well, you've been taking lessons. I said, I've taken a couple. He said, well, the lady that's been teaching you is the church pianist. Her husband's transferred out of town, and you're it. I said, but I'm only eight. He said, we have nobody else. I said, well, I got another problem. He said, what's that? I said, I only know one song. He said, don't worry. We'll sing it every week. Take that. <laughs> he said, yeah, you just play the song you know. You, you, you just pray for God to teach you how to play those other songs. <laughs> and we'll just sing them a cappella till you learn them. <laughs> you know what a cappella means. That's a Latin word that means we don't have a piano player. <laughs> That's what it means. And <laughs> That's how I started. And okay, if you want to think that that was the best record I ever made, it's okay with me. <laughs> Any who's seen a record album lately? <laughs> Guy sent me a picture the other day. He was in Kansas City in a flea market, and he took a picture. They were selling one of my albums in a flea market. <laughs> you know, come on, kids. 
it's a big round thing, <laughs> and it's not a CD. <laughs> so I've just I've played around the world. And you know, I've come to the conclusion that if God qualifies the unqualified, and if he, uh, if he gives you a gift or a talent, exploit it. In other words, use it. And so I've determined that that's what I'm going to do. And I realize there's so many musicians around here. This music is so great. I feel like a lion in a den of Daniels. <laughs> but I'm going to play anyhow. Is that all right? His truth is marching on. Amen. Take that, Dino. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> the end of my dad's ministry was not quite as miraculous as the beginning. He contracted a disease that is so diabolical. It's incurable. 
it's a progressive dementia called Alzheimer's, and it ends in total mental incapacitation. He had had so many miracles happen in his life. His conversion was a miracle. He was healed of a broken neck. He was paralyzed early in his ministry, and doctors said he'd never walk again, never get out of that bed. And Jesus healed him, and he got up and walked out of that hospital. So when he got this disease, we just thought, we'll pray, and he'll be okay, because <laughs> he had always gotten healed. But this time was different. We were at the end of an eight-year journey. I got called to the hospital, and I walked in the hospital room. As I was walking in, the doctor was walking out. And he said, Reverend, I know you already know this, but he said, your father has no cognitive ability left. He'll not know you're present. His upper brain function is gone. His lower brain function is gone. Not only had he ceased being able to speak lucidly and intelligibly, but he now, he says, he's lapsed into this state, kind of a catatonic state. He hasn't made a sound in four months, and he, he can't make a sound. It's physically impossible. He said, you know all this. But he said, that, that's not the issue. He said, we're going to keep your father comfortable till he passes. But he said, it's not your father I'm concerned about. It's your mother. She's been the caregiver for eight years. And he says, she's emotionally and physically depleted, and you're going to have to do something. And he walked out. I stood at the foot of Dad's bed, and he'd been six feet tall and robust, and now he's emaciated and 87 pounds draped on that six-foot frame. He's lying in a fetal position, his eyes kind of glassed over, looking but not seeing, and Satan spoke to me. And it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a communication that I got. He said, how do you preach faith? when your father's lying here in this condition? How do you tell people that God is a good God when your father has given sacrificially his life and everything he owns to ministry, pastor, and little church? And now look how he's ended up. Isn't that, isn't that just like Satan? When you have unexplained pain, struggles that are just unanswerable, his, his question is always designed to drive a wedge between you and Father God. If God really loved you, why would he let that happen to you? I sat for three hours Thursday afternoon at the bedside of a 54-year-old pastor's wife who passed away this weekend with cancer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Satan exploits that. It must have been what Johanna's father was feeling when just as a teenager he had already lost his dad. He was sitting on a houseboat having Sunday lunch with his mother and his sister and her friend and allied planes were flying down the Rhine. They were there ostensibly to protect, to, to help, to liberate. Some horrific mistake occurred and while he'd come off the boat that was their home in the Rhine River, he, he was out waving at them, actually, when they dropped a load of bombs. And when the explosion stopped, he looked back, and his houseboat was gone. It had taken a direct hit. He ran to the edge of the water, never found any evidence of his sister's existence or her friend, and the only remains of his mother he could find as he waded out in the Rhine was a little piece of scalp 
floating with some hair attached. And then he found her Bible, and he walked the streets of that little village, that fishing village, traumatized, grief-stricken, later bitter and angry, and as incomprehensible as it may seem to you and me today, he was the only survivor. And that's the day he shook his fist into the face of Father God, holding the remains of his mother. He said, you're no God of love to me. And I make a vow that I will never bow my knee to you again. See, that's Satan's objective, to disconnect you from the source of your strength and your power, your existence. I didn't know what to do necessarily. I mean, I knew intuitively what to do. I was a minister. But when you're faced with that personally, it's all different. It's easy to tell other people what to do. I began to quote Scripture, and I'd quote a Scripture, and I'd feel better, and then I'd get a dose of reality, and I wouldn't feel so good. And finally, I got over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, and I just blurted it out loud. I said, devil, you can't win. <laughs> Paul said, and I'm quoting Scripture to the devil, <laughs> we have a tabernacle not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. That old tabernacle, that earthly tent, it's our body. And I said, if my dad's body, if that earthly tabernacle just drapes away, it falls away. He, he's not dead. He's just going to step from one plane of reality to the next plane of reality. And when he wakes up, he's going to be in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, that's what it means to be a believer, to be a Christian. Come on, you're going to live forever. I walked outside, mom was standing in the hall, my brother-in-law and sister, they'd been to the cafeteria and having some lunch. They heard me in there and they decided to stay outside. I was a little noisy. She said, what have you been doing? I said, I've been praying for Pop. She said, why? It won't do any good. I said, what do you mean? Well, she said, son, when you need God the most, he'll turn his back on you. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, we've been praying for eight years, and look at him. Thousands of people are praying. He's gotten worse and worse and worse. She said, I lost the ability to communicate with him. He's not just my husband, he's my pastor. I needed him to tell me everything's going to be all right, and for a couple of years I haven't been able to communicate with him, and now... He's, he didn't even make a sound. He just lies there, a shell, a vegetable. His body has outlived his brain. There's no dignity in that room. She said, so I've been praying for him to go on to heaven. And he just lingers. Pray for him to be healed. He's not healed. Pray for him to die. He won't die. <laughs> she said, it's a joke. That's what it is. Then she did something I could have never anticipated. She shook her little finger in my face, and she said, don't you ever pray in my presence again. Now, you don't know Elise Garrison. Now, you know you have a reaction to those words when you hear them, but you might presume that she wasn't even a Christian or that she had walked away from the faith or she was some neophyte in the faith. None of those things would have been true, at least from my perspective. She was a faithful pastor spouse. 
Now what I'm hearing come out of her mouth sounds like blasphemy to me. I don't even have an answer. I just turned and walked away. I'm in the car, and I'm driving 635 out there in Dallas. And I'm crying, and I'm talking to God, and I'm not even praying. I'm venting. I said, God, Dad's okay. If he dies, he's going to heaven. What's happened to Mother? I don't know. You're talking about frightening. I said, she's lost her faith. You know, you, you know. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. I, it didn't take a lot of extrapolation to come to the conclusion that if something happened to her, if she passed away, I mean, she may not even make heaven. I, I, I'm not in the business to determine who's going and who's not. But I can tell you, that was a frightening moment. And I finally just said, God, you got yourself a big problem. <laughs> See, I thought she lost her faith. I believe she thought she lost her faith. But in the midst of that whole experience, I've come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit has taught us a lesson. It's a life lesson for the Garrison family, and I pass it on to everybody I can. See, I don't believe she lost her faith. I believe what happened to her, she lost her hope. You say, what's the difference? Faith, hope, aren't they pretty close to each other? Well, the Bible says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So there's got to be a distinct difference. Faith, well, you're given a measure of faith when you're saved, right? You can grow your faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, hearing the Word of God. The more of the Word you get inside of you, the more you believe, the more you receive, the more you experience, the more faith you have. It's kind of a process. It's educational. Hope, on the other hand, is more emotional. If faith is related to miracles, hope is related to morale. Think about it. A lot of people seem to walk away or lose their faith when they have enough faith to turn it around. What they've done, they've lost their hope. You say, well, why is hope so devastatingly powerful? If you lose it, what happens? See, it's, it's, it's an emotion. In fact, the dictionary says it's a confident expectation of something good that's going to happen. You've been around hopeful people. They, they just see good in everything. Hopeless people see the opposite. They walk in the room, the light's dim by 30%. I mean, they never see victory. In fact, the Bible said that hope deferred makes the heart sick. How, how do you lose hope? How long can you live without hope? That's what's happening because of Harvey, that's what's happening because of Irma, that's what happened because of 9-11. A, a world had hope sucked out of them. I know it's not theologically, maybe it's correct, and certainly not intellectual, but, but it's, if you think about it, Satan's kind of a hope sucker. <laughs> He'll come to you in any way he can, and he tries to suck the hope out of your life. See, my mother's hope tank was on empty. How did she get that way? Do you think for one minute she could have ever anticipated that she would shake her finger in my face and say, don't ever pray in my presence again? How'd she get that way? Well, let's put a scriptural underpinning to this before I wrap it up. Turn quickly to Romans chapter 4. 
Romans chapter 4. While you're turning there, let me just read another passage from chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, when you get to Romans chapter 4, it's an overview in three verses of a promise that was made to Abram, who later became known as Abraham, way back in Genesis chapter 12. And you know, if you've been around church or read Scripture, been to Sunday school, that he was 75 years old when God gave him a promise that he was going to have this son and that from this son there were going to be so many descendants that he was going to be known as the father of many nations. Now when you get to Romans chapter 4 and you get to around verse 19, you'll find out that he is now 100 years old and she is 90 years old. They're 25 years down the line from the promise and there's been no promised son. Don't you know every day when he got up, Satan screamed in his ear, it's hopeless. You're not going to ever be the father. Look how old she is. See, hope is destroyed, first of all, when you react only to what you see. Some people think, well, faith is victorious when you just deny reality. <laughs> if you act like it's not bad, if you just say the right things, you don't have to deny reality. Let's, look, let's read them. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. So he didn't, he didn't deny any reality. He, he knew how old she was. He knew how old he was. But yet, look at verse 18. In spite of that reality, he, in spite of that reality, in hope, he believed against hope. So he knew that she was barren. He knew that she was 90. He knew that he was 100, but he still had hope. Now, how did he retain that hope when he's looking at all of this reality? Verse 17. I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Wow. So in spite of the reality of how old she was, he knows that God is the creator of all, and if she needs something she does not possess, God could create it. If something's broke, God could fix it. If something's sick, God could heal it. And he can call into existence those things that do not exist. Come on. You may be looking at your situation. You're looking at your relationships and they're broken. You're looking at your health and it's not good. You're looking at your finances and you don't have any. You're looking at your children and they're not doing right. Your grandchildren are on drugs. You're looking at all these situations and the devil's telling you it's hopeless. But you're saying, oh, no, I'm not looking just at what I see. I'm looking at a God who makes alive that that was dead and can bring into existence. Oh, hallelujah. We're talking about getting your focus right. We serve Jehovah Jireh, the provider. We serve Jehovah El Shaddai, the more than enough. He's the El Shaddai, not the El Cheapo. Come on, get your... all right you can get happy see the devil wants you to look at the wrong thing 12 spies 10 saw giants and two saw grapes <laughs> you need to learn to be grape conscious instead of giant conscious 
Another thing that will cause you to lose hope is impatience. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. See, she's now 90, he's 100. That's 25 years past the promise. You think of how we, we can't wait. Well, I'm not impatient. How many of you have ever stood in front of your microwave oven? <laughs> Tapped your foot because it wasn't working fast enough? Come on, fess up. If you don't think this world's wired tight, let that light turn green. You don't move fast enough. They're honking four cars back trying to get you to move. You still not convinced? You ever been in Walmart? Express line? 20 items or less? And you're counting that dude's... And he put 23 up there? You lose your anointing for four days because of three cans of beans. <laughs> See, you know what our problem is sometimes? We're microwave Christians, and we got a crockpot God. <laughs> I didn't say crockpot. I said crockpot. <laughs> if you're going to tweet it, get it right. <laughs> we can't wait 25 days. Sometimes we can't wait 25 minutes. Sometimes we want it right now. See, my heavenly Father is into marinating, <laughs> simmering. <laughs> We're into flash frying. He says, they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Go in the city and wait until you be endued with power from on high. Linger. Thank you much, Pastor. <laughs> well, turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. i got to wrap it up. I've told you how... Hope is defined and how it's destroyed. Let me tell you how it's developed. Chapter 13, 15, excuse me, verse 13. May the God of hope stop right there. Who's the source of hope? If God's the source, how many things hope's going to be all right? <laughs> how do you know? God's past performance is an accurate predictor of his future behavior, right? Look how he treated the children of Israel. They didn't even deserve some of the treatment they got that was positive. I mean, think about just the food issue. Two and a half million people. Two quarts of manna per day. That's a lot of stuff he had to create every single day. Somebody calculated 1,500 tons of manna a day. You give them that much manna to eat, they got to have water to drink, take 11 million gallons of water a day. Somebody said, well, in today's economy, what would that be? Maybe $6 million a day. God didn't do it for one day, five days, or ten days. He did it for 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. My heavenly Father has enough provision that you're not going to get in trouble by praying for an answer. Think about it, 21,900,000 tons of manna, 160 billion gallons of water, $6 million a day for 14,600 days. Just don't ever tell me you're going to go into the throne room of heaven with your little teacup and run it dry. I don't think so. Come boldly into the throne of God and you can get, oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to get happy, amen. If you're Pentecostal, shout. If you're Baptist, just nod your head. It'll be all right.
<laughs> Y'all need to calm down just a hair. Because <laughs> I don't know. I, I, well, I got to go. <laughs> May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believe in that space so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So by the power of the Holy Spirit you may hope. The source of hope is God. The substance of hope is faith. The supply of hope is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall when Sarah went to the doctor? <laughs> Think about it. She walks in, 90 years old, sets down. All these young ladies are in there. They're glowing and giggling. They look up and say, Grandma, you're in the wrong room. We're having babies in here. They're giving out Geritol down the hall. <laughs> she said, oh, no, I'm having a baby. <laughs> How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you got some problems today how are you going to solve them by the power of the holy spirit <laughs> pastor dan says we all have to become ministers uh, maybe not occupational full-time occupational minister but we got to get involved we got to have a ministry but i'm not qualified how am i going to be qualified by the power of the holy spirit uh, how was my father who was an alcoholic become a pastor and stay one place for by the power of the holy spirit uh, how did a buddhist lady who was raised in buddhism and occultism how did she become a part of an assembly of God? by the power of the holy spirit uh, how are you going to see your children say by the power of the holy spirit how are you going to get by the power of the holy spirit come on let's look at him and let him fix every problem he is the god who calls into existence those things that do not exist he is a god who makes alive that that was dead hallelujah he is jehovah jireh amen hallelujah Four days later, mom walked into that hospital room. She said, I was bitter. I was angry. I was hopeless. I didn't want anybody praying for me. I didn't want anybody loving me. But she said, when I stepped inside that room, I felt the presence of God. Has hope restored? By the Holy Spirit. She said, I not only felt God's presence, I heard him speak to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but he said, get ready. Your husband's going to talk to you today. She said, well, that's what I want, but that can't happen. I don't know. This is foolish thinking. Maybe somebody's playing a trick on me. She thought there were mind games played by the devil. All those thoughts went through her mind, but something was happening. You see, we believe God is so rich and so real that he has an essence about him. No wonder you're feeling something What's hope? It's that confident expectation of something good that's going to happen. Now that hope needle begins to flutter. She pulls a chair up the side of his bed. She's sitting there transfixed. He's lying still in a fetal position but turned toward her. His eyes are glassed over. He's still not seeing, but that voice keeps saying, he's going to talk to you. Confident expectation of something good that's going to happen hope she said i looked into his eyes as he they just cleared up and he looked straight at me and she said his mouth began to move and in a strong voice he looked at me and he said you know what honey god still answers prayer <laughs> god still answers prayer He lay there and spoke in his heavenly prayer language for about 10 minutes. Then he lapsed back into an unconscious coma. And four months later, he died. You say, where's the miracle? She said, son, the only man that could have ministered to me was your father. And he was brain dead. 
But God let him preach one final message. <laughs> and her hope needle went from empty to full. If God's done it once, he can do it again. I said, if God's done it once, he can do it again. Get your hopes up today. Hallelujah. God is going to restore what Satan has tried to take away from you. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this room. You can do in a few seconds what we could not do in a lifetime. Amen, 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 amen. I wonder, before I conclude this prayer, if you'd like to be included in it, and you'd say, Alton, my hope tank is not as empty as your mother's. But I'm telling you, if your hope tank is not completely full, you could use a dose of hope today. If I'm talking to you, maybe you've lost your joy, or maybe you've got doubts, or maybe you've been totally discouraged, or maybe even depressed, even as a believer, and you want God to restore your hope. You've looked at situations, and they're just hopeless, but you need hope today. Just put your hand up all over this room. Amen. Literally, scores, if not hundreds. You may put it down. I've spent this entire message telling you that it's not hopeless, but that's not entirely correct. I didn't mean to deceive anybody, but for the group that I just talked to, the believers who have a sense of hopelessness about a situation, it's not hopeless. But if you are not in the family of God, Jesus is not your Savior, or you have recurring sins that have kind of disconnected you from your relationship with Jesus, it could be hopeless. You say, well, I just thought you were talking about God's grace and how he wanted to save. Yes, he does, but he's got this little caveat, you got to go first. <laughs> If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see what I'm saying? If you don't ask, he can't give it to you. That's just the way it happens. So if you're here today and you're not assured of your salvation or your connection to Jesus or your eternal destination and you don't want to leave here with any tinge of hopelessness in your life spiritually, just raise your hand. And I'll include you in this prayer. Just put it up and say, pray for me. I want to make sure that I have. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you in the back. Amen. God bless you over here. Amen. Could we all stand just a moment, please? Holy Spirit, you're so welcomed here. And I thank you for touching us today. There are believers in this room who Satan has attacked and they have a sense of dread and hopelessness but just the way you lifted my mother's hope Johanna's father even though he was so angry said he would never bow his knee but he did and Jesus you accepted him I thank you Lord that we can have victory and those who raised their hand and said Please help me spiritually to know that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. Minister to them too.
before I turn it back to Pastor, I would like to lead you, all of us, in a prayer. Do you mind if we, I know you know how to pray and you could pray, but I'd like to lead everybody in a prayer. And I'm going to deal with both of these situations and so you can help the one and they can help the other. But everybody pray it together. Don't be timid. Say it out loud and let's say it. Our heart felt with faith. Just speak these words as I say them. Just repeat them. Say, Dear Jesus, I give you my life with all of its faults, all of its failures, all of its unconfessed sin. Thank you for grace. I repent now and I receive the gift of salvation. Now that I know that I am saved, I'm qualified for heaven, but help me live in a broken world that's trying to destroy my hope. Holy Spirit, you dispense hope. I receive it now by faith, all the hope I need for my situation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Come on. Praise the Lord. Dad's in heaven, mom's 96, Johanna's dad is in heaven, her mom's 87. She opened the door of salvation and Johanna's in the ministry, Johanna's sister's in the ministry, Johanna's brother's a deacon in the church, Johanna's other brother's a pastor of a church. Come on. <laughs> God can turn it around, not just for you, but for others. I brought two resources today that now that you have received hope, I'd like to encourage you to become a hope dispenser. And that's what these resources can help you be. You were introduced to Johanna's book, if you were a lady at the conference, called Tangled Destinies. It's the entire story that I could only tell an overview. Plus, there are seven videos embedded in this book. QR codes, you need a QR scanner. You say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Ask your grandchildren. They'll help you. <laughs> you can not only see Johanna talk about the powers of darkness that invaded their house. Johanna's mother at 86 years old tells, it's about four minutes each video or less, tells how she encountered Jesus in a Billy Graham meeting. And, you, and so if you need hope or you'd like a story like this, maybe you'd like one. But if you know somebody, think about giving them a copy because it could be that that would be the hope they need. I brought a CD of me playing the piano, the song I played today. There's some others. There's some camp meeting songs. There's some old songs. But there's something else on there. It's a CD of music mostly. But I put the story about my mother and my dad and the Alzheimer's and the restoration of her hope and literally People have given away scores of these to other people who are sensing a sense of hopelessness. You may know somebody that could benefit from a story like that. I don't know where they are. I think they're in the international atrium back there, and uh, maybe they'll be a blessing to you. Pastor, God bless you. Thank you for letting me be here today.